All right. Hello, Christ community. Greetings to those of you at Northridge High School and those at our 15th Street campus. Really glad that all of you are here. Before we uh, jump into the message, I wanted to take a couple minutes and give a For the City and Beyond update. Um, For the City and Beyond is a vision, very exciting vision, that we launched about 15 months ago, helping us as a church make a more significant impact in our community and around the world. Now, this vision is focused on four general areas of need. So compassion, church multiplication, leadership development, and marketplace ministry. And there are really some fun things happening in all these areas. So I'm excited to announce that we just hit the $2 million mark in terms of gifts given. Yes. This is awesome. Um, So fantastic. God is growing our heart for generosity. Thank you. Thank you so much for those of you who are giving so generously to this vision. A good portion of that is going to ministry overseas. Um, For instance, this coming year, we have over 40 international training institutes planned around the world, 40 of these, which means that thousands of leaders who don't have access to hands-on biblical training are now able to be trained in this way, and the information is transferred. So they are able to take that back to their churches and train others. So our gospel spirit mission DNA here at church, that is multiplying around the world. But there's more. Most of what has been given financially is going to develop the infrastructure of our property at 83rd Avenue and 10th Street. Just a quick update here. We are in the latter stages of the process of getting complete approval from the city for the major sewer line that needs to go in. I had no idea that sewers were so complicated, but they are, okay? But we are almost there um, with approval from the city for that. We are also continuing to plan how we can partner on that property in ways that can help us multiply the gospel heartbeat of, of our church as well as bless our city. And then 10% of all that's given is going towards local initiatives, focusing on making a difference in the areas of compassion and leadership development and marketplace ministry. For example, in just a few weeks, we are launching our Christ Community Food Truck. It's going to be called, it is called actually, Everyone's Table, which highlights the heartbeat of this, that everyone is welcome at God's table. And so this food truck will help us creatively engage marketplace ministry ministry using business as mission to expand our capacity to impact people for Jesus right where they are. Um, One other local update I want to mention in the area of compassion. For the last few years, uh, we have done a thing called ShareFest on Labor Day weekend, the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, where we go out and we serve our community together. It has been a great thing, but it has also been uh, somewhat of a challenge doing it on that particular day and in terms of people's schedules and the impact that we can have. So I'm excited to announce that we're going to try something a little different. Um, Rather than having one big serve event, we are going to multiply the vision and heartbeat of ShareFest by having three to four significant serving opportunities every year. And these service opportunities will tie directly into our For the City and Beyond vision. So the first of these is going to happen July 15th, where we will be participating with about 10 other churches in Greeley and about 40 churches in Northern Colorado and about 400 churches around the world engaging in a Serve Your Community Day. It will be a Saturday morning and we'll focus on, where our focus is going 
going to be on blessing the schools in Greeley. Children in this community matter to us as a church. Many of them are in difficult family situations. We want to do all we can to bless children. Plus, we want the teachers and administrators to know that we support them and we value what they do. And one of the best ways to communicate that is to invest in our schools, making them a better environment to learn in. So mark your calendars, Saturday morning, July 15th. More details will be coming in the next few weeks. A second significant serve opportunity will be held in August, and then another one in October, um, and all of them tie into For the City and Beyond. There is a save the date insert in your newsletter this week with dates and service opportunities, so take that home with you, put it on your refrigerator by your rocky schedule or whatever, um, just as a reminder. Um, we, we are on an amazing journey together where, where God's heart for the hurting and the needy are being expressed through us in tangible ways, which is, it's really really what we as a church, it's what we do, right? It's what we're all about. We want to move towards need, towards people in need, because God moved towards us and he moves towards us in our need. So if you're interested in getting involved in this For the City and Beyond vision financially, you can um, give in, in the ways uh, mentioned earlier, you can give and uh, just designate For the City and Beyond. If you're interested in getting involved in, in a hands-on way, check out our website or our app where, you're, where you will find a link that can help you connect your e-group and help you connect personally to a number of needs in our community and you can, you can get involved in that. Also, if you want to be praying specifically for For the City and Beyond, um, we have hundreds of you that have indicated interest in that, and we're sending out emails, but we have a, a prayer update, a recently done prayer update in, in our For the City and Beyond area in the lobby, and you can pick up that update um, after services and be praying for these things. Okay, if you have your Bible um, or Bible app, uh, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. We are journeying together through this amazing book of Luke, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And, and Luke is an eyewitness-based account of Jesus' life and ministry. And today we come to a very significant and clarifying passage where Jesus specifically addresses this question. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? See, that's what Jesus is most interested in. He's not interested in gathering a crowd of fans who cheer wildly, you know, when he appears or who hold up I love Jesus signs or whatever. No, what Jesus is most interested in is gathering a group of people who actually follow him. See, that's what he wants. He, that, 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 that's how we place ourselves in a position to have our lives changed by him. It's, it's by being his follower. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, Jesus tells us very specifically in this passage, he gives us the primary requirements for being his follower. And as I read this passage, I'm going to read it out loud here. Feel free, you can watch it, on the, look it on the screen or look at your app or whatever. Or I encourage you to just feel free to close your eyes and imagine that you're there and you are hearing these words from Jesus spoken directly to you. Okay, here we go. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, 
the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is God's word. Okay, so in this passage, Jesus specifically identifies two key requirements for anyone who wants to be a disciple or wants to be a follower of Jesus. First of all, in order to be a follower of Jesus, we must believe rightly about Jesus. What we believe about Jesus matters. It matters a lot, which is why Jesus broaches this subject with the disciples. One day as he, he was praying, and then when he, when he finished praying, as his disciples were get, sitting around him, he asked them this question, who do the crowds say that I am? In other words, what are you hearing people say about me? And they answer, well, some say you're John the Baptist who's returned from the dead. Others say you're one of the Old Testament prophets like Elijah. So, so there were lots of opinions out there about who Jesus was, just like today. I mean, just like today. Everyone, everyone seems to have an opinion about who Jesus is. And most people think that Jesus, if you ask them, they think that Jesus was a, a wonderful spiritual teacher and leader, you know, kind of in the category of Gandhi or, or Muhammad, that Jesus was someone who, who lived and taught, you know, long ago and whose wisdom we can apply to our lives among, you know, lots of other spiritual ideas and concepts that are out there. I mean, that's the way most people view Jesus. But from Jesus' perspective, that answer doesn't work. That answer is not a satisfactory one. It's not correct, which feels weird to even say in our society, you know, a politically correct society, like our, to say it's not correct, but that's, I mean, it feels weird to even say this because we live in a day and age in which sincerity is a higher value than truth, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Just believe what you want to believe, right? No, no spiritual truth is more correct than any other spiritual truth as long as you're sincere, and, and that kind of approach may make us feel better, but it will also result in us completely missing Jesus, completely missing Jesus. Jesus was very concerned that his disciples clearly understood the truth of who he is, which is why Jesus then asked the disciples a follow-up question, a far more important question for each one of us here. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's the critical question. Who do you believe that I am? And Peter immediately answers, God's Messiah. Now, what Peter literally said in the original language is, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. Now, we often refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ. And maybe you haven't thought of this before, but what is the Christ part? Is that his last name? No, it's not, okay? It's not his last name. Christ is a title. It means anointed one. It means Messiah, the King of Israel. 
Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So for the Jews, this title represented their hope. It represented their salvation. A Messiah is coming one day. He's coming one day to save us. And Peter declares, you are that Messiah. And Peter gets this, he nails it. He gets this answer absolutely right. Jesus doesn't deny it. He is the Messiah. But what Peter and the others don't fully understand is what the mission of the Messiah will look like, which is why we read in verse 21 that Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. What is that about? Well, it's because Jesus knew that the people had misplaced expectations about the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to be political, to come and overthrow the Roman government, right? That's the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. And so Jesus didn't want the word getting out yet about him being the Messiah. But, but he did want the disciples to know what that actually means, what his mission as Messiah is. And so that's why he tells them. He tells them in the next verse, the son of man, here's the mission, The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this is not what they were expecting. But it is exactly the plan that God had in mind all along for the Messiah. See, notice the word must. The Son of Man must suffer these things. This is not optional. This is God's plan to bring about the deliverance and the salvation, not only of Israel, but from people from all nations, right? The Messiah must suffer many things, be rejected by the religious elite, and then be killed and raised to life. This is the mission of Jesus. This is why he came to earth. He came to save us from our sins and to give us life. He didn't come to simply be a good teacher, like Gandhi or whatever, or a prophet like some view Muhammad. No, Jesus came to be our savior. He came to actually die in our place on the cross, taking upon himself the full penalty for our sin and then to rise again to give us life. I mean, what an amazing savior. But here's the deal. The only way to be saved by him is to believe rightly about him. That's the only way to be saved by him is to believe rightly about him. See, this is where our following Jesus journey must begin. It begins by believing that he is not simply a teacher. He is not simply a prophet. That Jesus is the son of God who came to save you from your sins and to give you eternal life. So so here's the critical question from Jesus' very own lips to each one of us. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not who do your parents say that I am, or who your friends say I am, or or, or who your, your spouse or your youth pastor or whoever said. No, no, no. The question is for each one of us. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because how you answer that question determines whether or not you are you truly are a follower of Jesus. It matters what you believe about Jesus. It matters. Which leads to the second requirement to be a follower of Jesus. Right after describing his own suffering that is to come, Jesus then says these very challenging words. Whoever wants to be my disciple 
In other words, you want to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, this too is not what the disciples expected. I mean, since they were expecting this Messiah who was going to overthrow the Roman government through, through political or military means, that's what they were expecting. So they were thinking, man, to follow that Messiah, this is going to be really cool because I'm going to be able to order around all the, you know, order all these Roman people around and all that stuff. Following Jesus is going to mean greater status and greater influence and power, you know, military power. That's what they thought, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. See, Jesus, he's already said it. He's heading to a cross. He's heading to a cross, and his followers also are supposed to take up a cross. But what does that mean? What it means is that in order to be a follower of Jesus, not only must we believe rightly about Jesus, we also must die to self daily. We must die to self daily. That's our cross. That's our cross. The cross was a place of death. Every Jew knew that. I mean, people were nailed to crosses as a form of capital punishment. So in order to follow Jesus, we must die to self. So what does that mean? What does it mean to die to self? Well, Jesus tells us A few verses later in this passage, when when he says this, look at this verse again. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, that's describing a person who is not taking up their cross. They're not denying themselves. And notice what they're doing. They are trying to gain the world. That's the key. They're trying to gain the world. Now, the world in this context refers to the, it's not talking about the earth per se. It's talking about the system and the values of the world, right? The the world, which, which is focused. And what is the main system and value of the world? It's focused on me, right? Me, me, me. What I want, my desires, my agenda, getting ahead, getting rich, looking attractive, being in control, making sure our lives are comfortable. All of those things are values of the world. So the world urges us to live with self at the center of our lives. It's all about you. Take what you want. Enjoy, indulge in what feels good. Do what's good for you. What enables you to feel better. What enables you to get ahead. That's what's most important in the world system. And this is so prominent in our society that it has bled into our version of Christianity where many people, um, for, for many people, following Jesus actually means he follows us. That he exists to make our lives more comfortable. He exists to make our lives easy. He exists to affirm what we feel like is right in terms of our behavior or our life choices. See, for many people, Jesus is just a tool to use to get what we want, a successful business, a healthy family, the American dream. We're just using Jesus to feed our own agenda. We're not really following him. We're trying to make sure he follows us. But that's not following him at all. That's not following him at all. We're not really following him at all. We're, we're, again, making sure he follows us. What Jesus wants He wants us to understand that the biggest barrier 
He makes it clear here. The biggest barrier to following him is that we prefer to follow me, right? That's the biggest barrier to following Jesus. It's that we prefer to follow me. We prefer to live our lives with ourselves on the throne. And so this is how we make decisions about our finances or about our sexuality or about our relationships or about the number of children we will have or about our involvement in ministry. What's best for me? What's easiest for me? What will make me feel better? What, 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 what will I get out of it? What will make my life more comfortable? And here's the problem with that. And Jesus makes this very clear. Here's the problem with that. We think that's the best path. We think that's the best path, but it's not. Our world tells us that's the best, best path. It's not. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He makes it clear that when we pursue that kind of self-centered life, we miss out on real life. That's what he says here. We can gain the whole world and yet lose our very self. There's a powerful and very haunting example of this in the third movie of the Hobbit trilogy. Thorin Oakenshield is the king of the dwarfs, and he has a, he's led a team of his own best men, really, to once again gain control of a mountain that belongs to his people. They're rightful owners. It belongs to his people. And in the, they finally gain control of this. And in this mountain, there is a vast treasure, millions of gold pieces, vast treasure. Initially, they are elated to have found this, right? They were elated, but very soon in the movie, you begin to see that having all this wealth begins to change Thorin. It begins to change him. He becomes sullen and distant. He becomes more and more self-focused. He is unwilling to help nearby villagers who are in desperate need. He is willing to go to war with former alliances because he's accusing them of wanting to, 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 to this treasure for themselves. He is no longer, he is not the honorable king and the leader that he was. His love for the world, his love for this treasure is changing him right before our eyes. He is losing his soul. So in this scene, one of his faithful men, we're going to watch it here. In this scene, one of his faithful men, Dwalin, goes to confront him about this. Let's watch. Own people, Thorin, they are dying out there. There are holes beneath holes within this mountain. Places we can fortify. Shore up, make safe. Yes. Yes. That is it. We must move the gold further underground to safety. Did you not hear me? Dean is surrounded. They'll be slaughtered, Soren. Many die in war. Life is cheap. But a treasure such as this cannot be counted in lives lost. It is worth all the blood we can spend. You sit here in these vast halls with a crown upon your head. And yet you are lesser now than you have ever been. Do not speak to me. As if I were some lowly dwarf lord. As if I were still 
That's what happens to us when we lose ourselves, when we live with self on the throne. We lose ourselves. We lose ourselves. We miss out on real life. We become diminished as persons. We become diminished. We become more self-focused and less spiritually aware. aware. We, we lose the very best parts of ourselves. That, that's the irony. See, within Jesus' call to take up our cross and deny ourselves is an invitation into real life, both here and in eternity. It's an invitation to become a better person. Our decision to daily die to self is, it's, it's like a, our decisions, plural, to daily die to self is like a snake skin that is gradually being shed from us through friction, Right? It's gradually being shed from us, enabling us to walk in real life. Every time we choose obedience to Jesus, rather than our own self-centeredness, it's like part of that old self snake skin gets removed. And we experience more of the life Jesus has for us. More freedom, more joy, more deeply connected relationships, a greater wholeness of heart. See, whether it's greed or lust or unforgiveness or cheating on our taxes or stealing from our workplace, every time we choose self over Jesus, it diminishes ourselves. We become smaller. We become lesser people. Our hearts become hardened and more self-focused. I mean, here's, here's the real question. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Who, who am I becoming? See, that's what's at stake here. This isn't about spoiling our fun, right? Oh, they just want to spoil, deny yourself. That's all about spoiling our fun. No, 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 no. This isn't about spoiling our fun. This is about how our choices impact the person we're becoming. We, we dare not miss the invitation of Jesus in this passage. It may initially feel heavy and dark. You've got to die to yourself. Right? It feels heavy and dark. But the truth is, it is an invitation into life. It's an invitation into life. I see this principle at work all the time in marriage. I mean, in my own marriage, as well as the marriages that I observe or speak into or whatever. When, just personally, when I assert myself, when I assert my rights and my needs, I, I become more demanding and become less patient. And I sense my wife becoming more distant, which makes me angrier. I mean, it, it's amazing to me how self-centered I can become in my marriage if Raylene doesn't respond exactly the way I want her to respond. You know what's, what I'm doing? I'm setting up my own little kingdom. And I expect everyone to jump when I say jump. 
And the scary thing is, I don't even see the damage it's doing in the moment. I'm just like Thorin Oakenshield. I am Alan, right? King of my household. When I do that, I become less the man I want to be. I become less the husband I want to be. See, to die to myself in my marriage is the key to pouring life into my marriage. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That word save that Luke uses here, it's the Greek word sozo. And we usually think of that word in terms of our initial salvation, right? We're saved. And it, but, but it is so much more than that. Sozo speaks of wholeness of being. Wholeness of being. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We can find wholeness of life. How? By losing our lives. When we say no to our self-centered desires, you know, to be first and to, to get ahead and, and to have others serve us and to accumulate more and more things. When we say no to those things, we actually experience the life that we ultimately long for. We think we want these other things, but deeper than that, there's a, deep, there's a deeper desire. What we ultimately long for is life and transform, being transformed, becoming like Jesus. That's what we long for, wholeness of being. And that's what Jesus offers us. He makes it very clear here. That's what he offers us, is dying to self. That one thing he makes very clear in this passage, this is not a one-time decision. This is not where one day, oh yeah, years ago at that worship service, they sang a surrender all, and I went up to the altar, and, or I surrendered all. That, that, yeah, that happened. I did that. That's great. I did that. That's taken care of. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. This is a daily, this is an hourly invitation at work, in our marriage, when we're driving, right? In our sexual purity, in our level of generosity, in every area in our lives, this is a daily, hourly, minutely decision where we choose to say, not my will. In this moment, not my will, but yours, Jesus. I don't, Jesus, I don't want my life to be run by my anger or my greed or my lust or my desire to be king of my household. No, I want you, Jesus, to call the shots. I want to take up my cross and say yes to your desires for me, which are ultimately what I long for as well. I'm going to follow you in such a way that my self-centeredness snakeskins fall to the ground and my life begins to look more and more like you. Saying yes to Jesus in these day-to-day -day realities, it is always a really, really good decision, even though it is often a really, really hard decision. It's always a really good decision, but it's a really hard decision. But the impact, the impact is worth it. It pours life into other people. It pours life into ourselves. The impact is huge. Okay. All good stuff up to this point. I wish I could just skip over the next verse uh, because in this verse, Jesus doesn't sound very Jesus-like, okay? Um, and I'm kind of, I've been struggling with that, okay? Um, you know, but I, I can't really skip it uh, because we are people of the word and, and we, wanna, we want all of it, right? Not just parts of it. We want all of it, all of the word. So here we go, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words 
The Son of Man, that's a reference to Jesus, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See what I mean? This is so un-Jesus-like, right? <laughs> These words. Um, what about Jesus' love? And what about how he removes our shame? I talk about that all the time. So I wrestled with this. What is this about? What, 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 what is going on here? It, it certainly, this verse do, certainly doesn't help me tie this, this sermon up in a, in a neat little bow here. What, what, what it does remind us of is how serious Jesus is about following him. This, this idea of denying ourselves and taking up our cross, this is not a trivial matter to Jesus. It is not. It is not optional. Well, I want that Christianity. I don't think I want that die to self thing, but I'd really like that kind of Christianity. It's not, op it's not an option. It's, it's not optional. This is at the core of what he expects, of what he wants from us. If we are embarrassed by his words... If we are embarrassed by his claim to lordship, if we are embarrassed to be seen as his follower and we are too proud to die to ourselves, then we are not really following him. And if we're not really following him, we're basically not in a real relationship with him. Now, please hear me. Jesus is not talking about perfection. He's talking about a heart orientation. A person who is ashamed to follow Jesus is a person whose heart does not belong to Jesus. And there are eternal consequences for that. But for those whose hearts belong to Jesus, to those who are not ashamed to follow, who are willing to take up their cross daily, to those the invitation this invitation is an invitation into real life, into real life. Now, I can't end this without going back to The Hobbit to show what eventually happens to Thorin Oakenshield, okay? Because it is a picture of the transformation that Jesus can bring into our lives when we choose to die to ourselves. behind a wall of stone while others fight our battles for us! It is not in my blood, Thorin. No, it is not. We are sons of Durin. And Durin's folk from a fight. I have no right to ask this of any of you. Will you follow me? 
one last time. Excuse me. There we go. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. <laughs> we are sons and daughters of the Most High God called to follow him. It won't be easy. In fact, it will often be hard and difficult. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Because we get to follow Jesus. This amazing Savior and Lord. And in that following, we become the people we long to become. We experience true life. Let's pray together. Jesus is asking us two questions, I believe. And I want us to respond with our hearts in prayer. First question, who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that Jesus is? Such an important question. And the answer that followers of Jesus must have is that he is God's Messiah. He is the son of God who came to deliver us, who died on a cross for us and rose from the dead to give us life. That's the way into a relationship. That's where the journey of following Jesus begins. And there are some of you here and Jesus is inviting you to start this journey with him. It matters what you believe. Maybe you thought, oh, I just believe Jesus is a good teacher, blah, blah, blah. No, it matters. And if you want to follow him, this is where it begins. And so if this is you, this reflects your heart and you're saying, yeah, I want to follow him and I've believed all these other things, but now I am saying yes to believe rightly about Jesus. I want to invite you to, to pray a prayer with me where you can enter into this relationship based on what you believe about Jesus. And so pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. You are whole and complete and I'm not done my own thing, gone my own way, and I know my sin, my self-centeredness separates me from your holiness, but I don't want to be separated from you. And even though there was nothing I could do to get to you, there is nothing I could do no matter how hard I try, no matter how often I go to church, no matter how good I try to be, there's nothing I can do to get to you. But you came to me, you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross in my place. Jesus, you took the penalty I deserved to pay. You chose that for me. Thank you. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I believe you. I bring you my faults and failures and questions and doubts and sins, just all of it. I bring it all of it to you and leave it at your cross. And in exchange, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your life. I receive your Holy Spirit to come live in me. Changing me from the inside out. Do that. Change me from the inside out. Walk with me as I follow you.
So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in this relationship with you, knowing that you now live in them, that you love them, that you are help, helping them and strengthening them to follow, and that nothing can ever change that. Second question that I think the Lord wants us to sit in here for a moment. Here's the question. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Do you like the person you're becoming? Are you becoming more self-focused or more Jesus-focused? I want to invite us just here in, in a moment of reflection, just to think about our lives. And sometimes it's hard thinking about the last 10 years or whatever. Let's think about the last 24 hours or 48 hours. Where, where is a specific place or relationship or situation where self-centeredness has asserted itself in your life? Just think about that. Now I want to invite you in this moment to take up your cross to deny yourself. And in this situation, what that means is initially just repent of that self-centeredness. This is a part of this snake skin. You know, this is just repentance does that. We're acknowledging, we're owning our self-centeredness. Maybe it's how we drove over here. Maybe it's a, an argument we had with our spouse. Maybe it's a, some way we responded to someone. Whatever it is, repentance is a part of this journey of seeing what we're becoming and we're turning completely the other direction. So just take a moment in the quiet of your heart and just repent. Jesus, I'm sorry. I see myself self-centeredness. I, I confess that to you. And then just tell him how much you want his help. Ask for his help in that area next time to deny yourself, to take up your cross. Rather than pursuing the world, the world value system of self, to choose Jesus. Jesus, we, we want to follow you. We know, we know, and we've seen it here, that the more we assert ourselves and try to gain the world, the more we lose ourselves. The more we lose what we really care about. But when we choose to deny ourselves, we experience true life. And so I pray, we pray for that attitude change, these words from your word to penetrate our hearts and change the way we see life 
and the way we see ourselves in our relationships and in our work context and all of these things. Use these words to change us as we say yes to following you. We want to follow you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being a savior worthy of our following. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to respond as we do every week to the word with worship. And you may be in a place where like, man, I don't know if I'm ready to sing right now. God's still working on me. That's great. You may want to just stay seated for a song and just let the Lord continue to work. Others, you're ready to engage. These songs just express to Jesus what an awesome Savior he is. So I invite you, whatever campus you're at, I invite you to stand. Let's begin standing. If you want to remain seated, that's totally fine. But for the rest of us, let's begin standing. Jesus, set us free right now to worship you. We love you. We want to follow you. Thank you for being such an amazing Savior.